This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back. Listening to Militantly Mixed. I would like to acknowledge that the Main Hustle Media podcasts are recorded on the traditional lands of the Karankawa, the Chumash, and the Tongva people, and I wish to pay my respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Hey y'all, welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine Fury, the Busiest mixed race, bi-gender, bisexual, polyamorous, atheist, comic book nerd, cat mom, and now two-time Asian American Podcasters Association's Golden Crane Award-winning podcaster in this podcasting game. This is episode 153, and on this episode, I'm introducing a new kind of episode to the show, something that we'll be planning on doing about once a month. And um, you've all already had a taste of it if you listen from last year. These episodes will be the Mixed Auntie episodes. You've heard me talk about the Mixed Aunties. We're a group chat of mixed race aunties that that um, like to find ways to support the mixed community through our eldership, I guess. Um, and with a motivation to support, enrich, and and amplify the voices of our community. This is something that the group chat is all aligned in, and we've been trying to find the best way to pool our knowledge and resources and platforms together to do that. And so what we've decided to do is partner up for these episodes, these Mix Auntie episodes. And on this first episode of this new series, I am speaking with Auntie Teresa Stovall, author of Swirl Girl, Coming of Race in the USA. You've you've heard Teresa on the show several times, we have been talking about some sort of collective for a while. And what she is going to be launching um, in the next coming months is the Mixed Auntie Confidential, which is her blog in which she will pull a whole bunch of mixed race resources, platforms, et cetera, together in addition to her blog and one-stop shop so that you can, uh, if you're seeking some sort of mixed-based content, you can go to her page and find it. Um, she is author, also a journalist and an author, so from time to time, there'll be blog posts about certain topics within mixedness or interviews and things like that. And then also, she and I, or all of the mix aunties, or just she, or just Teresa, will be doing some form of episode on Militantly Mixed under the Mixed Auntie banner. Uh, so I'm excited about it. And on this first episode, we engage on the topic of basically mixed people entering the conversation of mixedness. Because in the last, that really has only happened in the last like five years or so. Before that, if mixed people were addressed in media or in content in any way, shape or form, it was usually from outsiders or people that weren't mixed, weren't in interracial families. They were just observing us and writing from their perspective. And that was a huge catalyst into why I started Militantly Mixed when I did, because there were no active mixed race podcasts at the time. And of the mixed race podcasts that existed before me, nobody had recorded an episode in over a year. 
And the only thing that was available online at the time was this journalistic mixed in America piece, podcast piece that drove me crazy because it, it just didn't fit. It just didn't feel right. And that, that in addition to me just wanting to talk to mixed people <laughs> was the motivation for me to start the show. And now if you just do a quick Google search, there's all kinds of podcasts about mixedness. There's so many TikToks and Instagram accounts and Twitter accounts that are focusing on issues of mixedness or collectives or magazines that are talking about mixedness publicly. And this just didn't happen until recently. So we wanted to talk about that and, um, and share, you know, what our mixed auntie platform together will look like. So I hope you enjoyed this episode, but before we get into it, just want to remind you that Militantly Mix is a fan-sponsored podcast, and it is because of the support of our Patreons, this show is able to keep going and growing. If you'd like to sponsor the show, you can go to patreon.com slash militantlymix and sponsor as low as a dollar to as high as anything you wish. There are different reward levels depending on what you choose. And if you would like to have access to the video versions of the episodes that I record, starting with episode 142, you can sponsor at the $5 a month level and you'll get access to those videos there. If you would like to support the show but you don't want to commit to a monthly or annual sponsorship, you can go to paypal.me slash mix and drop some coins in that tip jar. All the money goes back into the mix bank account and goes back into keeping the show on. Another way to support the show is also to visit militantlymix.com and click on the merch tab. We have t-shirts, tote bags, water bottles, hoodies, things like that, that you can purchase with Militantly Mix logo or the Be Your Mix S um, gear or the uh, Mixed and Hello line of shirts. And um, all that money also goes back into supporting the show as well. So that's how you can support us financially. Also supporting us by following us on all the social media accounts, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, at Militantly Mixed. And something new that I've just started that I'm really looking forward to and hoping, hoping, hoping that y'all will jump on board with this. Um, I've tried it in different ways, but this one is the one that I'm, I'm really excited about. I just joined podinbox.com. And what they are is a service that you can link directly to your podcast to Militantly Mix and leave me a voicemail that I will have access to either to share on the show or to answer you directly with a voicemail as well. The way I have it laid out is there are different inboxes, different topics that you can send a message to and I can play it on the show, ask other people to comment through video, through voice messages and, or I can answer you directly if I if I'm able to. Um, I set it up where there's four different inboxes. One is general, in case you have a random message um, that you would like to share with the show or with myself. One is Ask Charmaine Anything, which from time to time, if there is a question that comes through on there, I will go ahead and put that on the show as well. Uh, answer the show. <laughs> answer the clip on the show as well. Uh, there's also Ask for Advice, and I'm excited about this one because I think there are times when I have accidentally become an expert in people's mind because I have militantly mix as a platform. And while my personal experience can be sometimes helpful to individual people, I don't have I don't come from everybody else's experience and so may or a heritage group, so I may not be the right person to answer. But maybe there's a listener on the show that is dealing with your exact situation or has done 
and they would be able to provide better advice than I can. I will absolutely continue to try to be helpful and supportive in the best way that I can. But if I got to scratch my head because I don't come from that perspective, then maybe someone who listens does. So you can leave the question and or scenario. Here's something that I experienced and I would like to know what other people would do in this situation and explain what it is. I'll play it on the show and in the fo- in following episodes, whether it's a week or two or whenever we actually hear back from somebody, I can also play that on the episode to be more of a community-based support. Uh, I really hope this takes off. I, I've been wanting a call-in show forever. This is the closest I think that I will be able to come to it. Um, unless Spotify or iHeartRadio wants to give me a radio show. And the final one is... What do you love most about being mixed? As you know, that's the question that I ask of all of my guests. And it's always my favorite part of the show because I love to hear how somebody attaches joy to their mixed identity. And I want to hear from from the audience. I want to know how y'all feel about what you love most about your mixed identity as well. So for now, those are the four categories that you can submit voicemails to. I may add from time to time or change them as they make sense. But I think this is way better than actually having a phone number for the show, which I used to have. I used to have a Skype phone number. And I might get a call every once in six months or something like that. In this case, I hope this is a weekly and active uh, way that we can exchange. It is a free service to you, and I really, really hope it'll, it'll be fun. You can just go to podinbox.com slash militantlymixed, click on the topic that you want to record the voicemail for, and then record directly from their website. So you don't have to record something and send it to me via email or anything like that. It'll all be passed to me through the platform. And if I am able to address it directly with the voicemail, I can do that through the platform as well, which I think is pretty cool. So that is podinbox.com slash militantlymixed. I will put a link to that in the show notes. And also there is a tab for that on militantlymixed.com in case you forget. And I guess that's it. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming back one of our cousins of the show and fellow mixed auntie, Auntie Teresa Stovall. back for 2022 and I'm really excited to be starting off the new year with my fellow mixed auntie. We're in a group chat so we we got a whole bunch of us. Auntie Teresa Stovall which you've heard from on the show before uh, with the launch of her memoir Swirl Girl Coming of Race in the USA. Auntie Teresa welcome back to Military Mixed. Thank you, Charmaine, Auntie Charmaine, my fellow auntie. I am delighted to be here and really thrilled. Um, As you know, your podcast is my very, very favorite. And 
I learn something with absolutely every episode and I love absolutely every guest you have. So I'm really thrilled to be back. So thank you. And glad we're going to be jamming like this. I'm excited. So today we are going to be launching something new for Militantly Mix, which is um, monthly episodes between either myself and Auntie Teresa as Mix Aunties. You'll see on the, if you're watching, you'll see Mix Auntie Confidential listed here or other aunties will be joining either myself or Teresa to discuss various topics within mixedness. Um, it's something that we're very excited about. And it also s- somewhat coincides with the brand that is being built up by Teresa, which is Mixed Auntie Confidential. So do you want to tell everybody a little bit about what you want to do with that? And then we can get into what we wanted to talk about today. Absolutely. Thanks. So Mixed Auntie Confidential I am is my new blog, is the name of my new blog. And I'm still building it, y'all. So, you know, be patient. It's going to be, I'd say it'll launch in the next few weeks or early next month. And really what I'm excited about doing with this blog is sharing information about the mixed community. Of course, I'll be sharing my own opinions, aspects of my mixed journey, my own rants, which I, of course, do. But (laughs) sometimes um, we do together in the group chat. Yes, the rants (laughs) and the raves, baby. But I'm, but I'm really excited about um, Mixed Auntie Confidential, the blog slash vlog. I got to get way more familiar with the boomer with video. So, yes, y'all pray for me. Um, as, as, a, as a go-to spot, as a resource for, there's so many amazing, wonderful, always ever-growing um, uh, field of people, services, resources, conversations, everything in the mixed space it's just literally ballooned in the last couple years Mm -hmm. and so what one of the things i want to do with my mixed anti-confidential blog um and here when we do mixed anti-confidential is to highlight and spotlight some of those resources so you know that more and more people know about them and can access and benefit from them right and um and we so we've been talking for uh, I feel like it's been almost a year now specifically about this sort of coalition of mixed aunties um, in which when we started our group chat and we've done a few things through Militantly Mixed with it um, and always the mission has been the same. Some kind of way to continue to elevate each other and amplify the voices that we have, but also the people that we're in contact with or the mixed race content that we all enjoy and benefit from. So I'm really, I'm really excited because it's, it's taken different forms of what we've talked about throughout this year. And I'm really excited that um, it's starting to really fuse together in, in the Mixante Confidential. I, I like this. St- I like the style. I like the name. I'm excited. Yes, me too. And we're accidental twins today. This is not planned. If you're, if you see, do see the video, we're both wearing our "Be Your Mixed Ass Self" T-shirt from 2021. Um, I was so excited when I saw it, when you popped up on the camera. I was like, "Hey, we didn't plan this at all." Um, I wish you could see the whole thing, but yeah. Yes. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited. So let's get into it. The, the, the first topic that you and I have kind of been talking about um, to do for this episode was, um, I guess. I guess it does kind of have something to do with sort of access and how we and how we engage as as mixed folks, right? Do you want to do you want to share a little bit about what you were thinking and thinking about the conversation, right? Mm-hmm. That in the last I'm going to say 5 years to keep it broad, all of a sudden for the first time in my life, 
in the United States, there's especially, not only, but especially, um, there is a public ongoing conversation about mixedness, about mixed people, mixed identity, all kinds of things. In the beginning, when it first started, I was frustrated, but also inspired and motivated. Part of the reason I wrote my memoir, Swirl Girl, et cetera, and I'm excited to connect with the Charmaines of the world, is that mixed people were not necessarily spearheading or even leading those conversations. Right. They were about us. They were about us. And frankly, we weren't always invited in because Mm -hmm. I would very enthusiastically jump right on in and um and i sometimes i was blocked kicked out mm. shut down tone policed and i was like wait 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 hold up you know i'm from the old school where if you're going to talk about me it needs to be a me, yeah, be, look at me in the eye <laughs> look me in the eye and it needs to be a dialogue like this is just and so that frustration ended up being inspiring me and but the last few years and I have to say, because I connected with you, we were in some some groups together online, right? You know, right when um, Swirl Girl came out, mm-hmm. and you really helped me understand this new. Let's call it new wave of mixed voices. Okay, where mixed people were leading and spearheading the conversations, very right. diverse conversations, often divergent. But mm-hmm. why wouldn't we be? We are. When you talk about any group is not a monolith, we may be less a monolith than any monoracial group there is. The only thing we have in common is that we're mixed. You you put us in, I mean, you know that from your show, right? Yeah. And it's so funny because like you want to vibe over something you share in common and sometimes you realize the thing you have in common is not enough for you to have a vibe, you know, and I think in mixedness that becomes way more obvious than before like at first like literally my my initial mission was like I just want to talk to more mixed people and then it was like hey I can't identify with you so I need to talk to you more so I can understand what your deal is like that was the early stages of this because you know like you said we were we were the news story we were the hey America there are hybrid people amongst us and this is what their life is like as told by majority of white gaze into what our experiences are like and I think even before that started to happen it was pick what you look the most like mm-hmm. and, and and rather than centering your mixedness you were centering whatever you look the most like which you know could be really unlucky for some people who grew up culturally not with the people who looked like them so by the time I think this what you were describing is like this new um age of you know mixedness or 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 speak mixed voices uh when i started the show there had been some dead podcasts before me so like they hadn't recorded an episode in at least a year um and we weren't even using terms like mixedness we were still calling ourselves you know just mixed or or i'm a multiracial person we didn't really we hadn't even started to develop language yet about how to talk about us in a for us by us about us kind of way and you know i do agree in the last five years that's become more present and even even more so in the last two years Mm -hmm. it's it's at the forefront like people are actually asking to speak to mixed people about mixed issues now which is not something that i think ever happened before it's brand new. 
It is it, brand new. Yeah. And it's, it's wild too, because even as, especially like when you and I, I connected, um, it, it, it hadn't even been something that I really even thought about. You had said something, I remember early on in the, in our recording, you had said something about how mixed wasn't even the concept, like right. your parents, it didn't, it, it kind of almost didn't even occur to you that they were different races from each other because of the way that you were raised. And I feel like that was still happening a little bit by the time I came around uh, by the time I was born, I think people were also not doing that yet. They weren't even thinking about the fact that like you had two different colored parents or anything like that. Like it was just, it just was the thing. Um, yes. Whereas now it is the thing that makes you stand out sometimes like, Hey, your parents aren't the same colors. That's weird. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was, it was really eye opening to hear the, the way that um, you're, you were experiencing your mixedness growing up versus the way I was experiencing my mixedness growing up with only, you know, between 15 to 20 years difference mm -hmm. of our experiences. And then the, the people I'm interviewing now are 20 years younger than me in some cases. And they are, they've been talking about being mixed their whole time. Yes, <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> and they, yeah. And they always have, it's so funny because I always get like vocab words from them. I'm like, what was that term? Mm -hmm. I'll write it down, then I Google it. Then Put in a little glossary. <laughs> yes, I need, yeah, we need to start a glossary. And that's one of the things I, I wanted to to um to chop up with you is language, right? So so I'm a boomer, okay, black and Jewish and Native American, and grew up in a in Seattle. I think, and it's also interesting and significant, and that's a whole nother conversation, probably, or maybe later. Um, that you and I and the other mixed aunties in our chat are all from the West Coast. And there's a That's whole backstory there in terms of, of mixed identity, et cetera. But I'm from Seattle and a boomer, but I grew up in a very uh, diverse neighborhood, uh, black slash black mixed slash Asian um, due to redlining and all those other mm -hmm. lovely things. But as a child, I didn't know that and it never seemed problematic, never felt like I was missing anything or, you know, deprived in any way and grew up, but there were a lot of mixed couples and there were a lot of mixed people. We weren't a majority, but there were enough, right. Mm -hmm. that, that we weren't, at least I wasn't othered, you know, there was no sense of othering. You were just a fact of life. Right. And, um, now it, and and but there wasn't any language really mixed. I still use the word mixed. I came up with the word mixed because that was what was used when I was growing up. We didn't biracial didn't exist yet, multiracial, all those things, which is mixed. So people would, if somebody asked what you were, you'd say mixed. Mm -hmm. And in my in my universe, it was so specific, Charmaine. You mentioned daddy was black and your mama wasn't. Yes. Like that's how specific it was. There were no black yeah. women that I, the first black woman I met who was married interracially, I was in my 20s and see, mm. I had a black woman, Japanese husband. Okay. Black see, woman, I would have loved to see that mix in real life when I was a kid. You know, like I never saw Asian men with black women. I always saw white men with Asian women, which mm. like it happened in my family, which I feel a whole kind of way about. Um, and I, I would have, if I would have seen them in person, I, I would have lost myself. I, like, I just, I wouldn't, I would have been like, this happens. I, I've met a couple like this recently here in, in Houston. And it was in the, I hope not a creepy way, but I got instantly infatuated with them because <laughs> it was an Asian man with a black woman. I was like, I'm so excited you guys exist. 
Oh, yeah. So that's actually, that was the first. And, you know, again, I came up in the Black Power 60s and I was part of that whole thing. And so Black women, my peers, we would discuss occasionally, very occasionally, because a lot of the men were dating and mating out, mm-hmm. <laughs> out of Blackness. And my cultural affiliation is Black, always has been. And um, and so we would say, well, would you date a white guy or would you date an Asian guy or would you date, you know, and... For the, for the most part, among my peers, boomers, coming up in the 60s, coming of age in the 60s and early 70s, it was like, no, I just can't. I just can't. I mean, it was, I just can't. Or the I culture can't. almost. Like. Put culture, it was DNA. It was probably some post-traumatic, stra- you know, slave syndrome. I mean, sure. all of all the realities. But it, my, very few of us were like, yeah, sure. Whereas, of course, nowadays it's a whole different. So you said mixed and it meant. Your daddy was black and your mama wasn't. Like, I didn't have to explain to people what mix I was. Right. I just said mix. And in that environment, it was that clearly understood. That's true because more so now in my life than ever in my childhood, I think it was always understood that I had a black father when people knew me to be the mixed girl or whatever in school. Mm -hmm. Um, Now people will just walk up to you and say, mama or daddy not even like because they've already decided i know you're mixed i now need to know what category of mixed you are which is were you raised by a black dad or were you raised by a black woman which means totally different things right like um, does it though i want to come back to that one because that's in my brain we we can make that one a topic too even uh because i do think i've had more huh Let's make that a topic. Yeah, because I, I feel like I've had more conversations about this in the last few months than I ever have. Before. Well, that's brand new. Yeah, I, yes, I think it's it is. And, and again, that goes into new. us developing our language around mixedness too, right? It's just like, first we had to have, I think you start these types of things in like, um, like a broad solidarity until you start, until by human nature, we start to pick people apart and try to figure out how to categorize, categorize you. And and I think Mm -hmm. that's what's happening is that in the five or so years that we've been actively referring to mixedness as, as a thing. And honestly, I, I'm not saying I coined the phrase. I'm saying in my life, I coined mixedness. I started saying mixedness. I had never heard it. And, um, and so now that I'm a part of this like public mixedness or whatever, um, that this was something like I was like, oh wait, we talk about whiteness and we talk about blackness. Why am I not saying mixedness? So I like for me, I I was putting that terminology together and and seeing it being used more and more. I think people are actively understanding like we are we are this fast category, and so sectioning us off, I guess, makes it easier for some people to a degree i think i think it's two things some of it's human nature and some of it's political yes right some of it's programming right we're all programmed yes right and so but i agree with you i don't know how much is human nature so you're right so the language so then biracial came and i always thought biracial sounded like a science experiment and i was also a little miffed. I was probably in my 20s, maybe early 30s when I first started hearing it. I was also a little miffed that I wasn't, you know, in the room where it happened. Like, why wasn't right. I invited to this decision-making yeah. meeting? Um, again, this was a long time ago. I don't know exactly when. And um, I don't really know. Either. Yeah, biracial popped up. And, you know, now, of course, I realize tech, it, I consider it a subset. It's like if you're talking about Black people and you said Jamaicans. Mm-hmm. To me, it's a right. subset because technically... 
you and I are not biracial if bi only equals two. Right. If we're, if we're being, if we're going for accuracy and sometimes, I mean, I'm in a conversation and if they're saying biracial people come apply for this, I'm going to apply. Like, sure. I mean, I'm not going to nitpick it to death, but if we're talking about my specific experience, I would say, well, technically I got, you know, three um, strands of ancestry I honor. And to be really honest, I just put, you know, the white European massa in with the black. Because African Americans, there are very Americans yeah. whose parents, whose forefathers and mothers were enslaved, who didn't have some white blood in them. So to me, that's just part of being African American. But again, so we got all this language right now. We're talking phenotypes and and all the and other. And I've noticed that like white passing has evolved to white presumed, white assumed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. White passing made me crazy. I'm like, are you passing for what? You know. Old school. I'm yeah. trying to be literal. I'm like, maybe if you say you pass, and you, that's a whole message. It meant something very specific, and it was always kind of uncomfortable to use. But even I was using it in the early days of the show too, because I was like, this is the words we're using, that's but it never felt felt right. Yeah, we needed to find that. I'm I'm glad we're working through it. I'm yes. glad we're working through it in a way that we can tell we haven't figured it out. Because then it was like white appearing, white presumed, white assumed. Uh, white acting, um, white acting, I guess that's a different, <laughs> sorry, that happened. That happened. That was an accent. Uh, but you know what I'm saying? Like we were working our way through what these types of things mean. Yeah, and and I, I think, think we it, still are. I think we still are. Yeah. Yeah. It, it'll, it'll take a lot of different forms. I think, I think now identifying though, that it is not an action on the part yes. of the person. Um, that, that seems to be the more important thing because it is less about how, I'm how I look versus how you think I look, because that means something different in particular, especially on what I experienced through the show is, is with Asian mixes, Mm. especially with white Asians. If they, to me, white Asians almost always look more Asian to me, or I can identify both the white and the Asian in them where I'll talk to people on the show who will look clearly white Asian mixed to me. And they will say, nine times out of 10, I'm seen as white. And I'm like, but you have an Asian face. And then the reversal happened the very few times I've engaged with someone who visibly appears white, but is actually Asian. Um, they still look mixed to me. But when I'm seeing like every now and then, if, if they're just assumed as Asian and they're just like, I can't believe someone assumed me as Asian. I'm like, it's always there. I can always see it, but I can see it because I'm trained to look for these types of things in in other people because I'm mixed and I'm looking for my tribe all the time. Um, So I think it's important that it is about how other people perceive you, which also is a topic I think we should talk about in the future too, which drives me nuts is, do I have to claim what others assume me for um, you know, like that, that, that's a, that's a, that's a phase I think that almost all mixed people experience is do I have to behave as the thing that I'm being assumed to be, or can I not be as militant in my identity as a black person uh, when I appear to be ambiguously Asian, Latin, or something like that? You know, like that—that that was a phase that that uh, I think I went through for a long time, and every now and then creeps in again. But I hear it in people that I speak to all the time. That's a like, very common. That's a very yeah. common concept that I think is, you're right, it's really being uh, um, processed publicly right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd be in deep 
trouble because people think I'm all kinds of things, yeah. all kinds of things, so many. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, so, so I'm like, well, I, you know, you got to tell me what you think I am. And then, you know, and then we could go from there. Did you ever, so when biracial, I never use biracial for myself either, because I, I understood myself to have um, three cultural groups and ethnic groups. I was, I was identifying with, um, I started saying triracial really early because I was just trying to follow the way words are created, like words are crafted. Right. Um, so I, I always describe myself as that. And it wasn't until most recently like literally in the last year or so where woke, you know, quotation fingers, woke white people were referring to me as biracial because they thought that was a, a more um, appropriate term. And then I would have to say, I'm not biracial. I'm mixed or I'm not biracial. I'm triracial technically or something. And then they would, you know, clutch their chest like, oh, but why do you say that? Like almost, it's almost like when someone says, um about themselves i'm fat and then someone else goes no no no, you're beautiful i didn't say i was ugly i said i was fat that's different so like in the same thing and i i hear people say this all the time like in the same way that that is happening when they'll say you're biracial i'm like oh no i'm not biracial i'm mixed oh no it's fine like no. <laughs> i'll tell you i'll it, tell you i'll tell you i will i must yes that oh my god yes you just summed that up so beautifully it's you know what it is it's behind that and it's not just white folks who do that to be honest i mean there's a special dynamic when there's white people dynamic, do it yeah. but it's not just white folks who do it i believe what they're they're trying to do two things okay and sometimes i'm empathetic with them but i'm also simultaneously you know annoyed or whatever but um because let's face it, I've looked at ambiguous people and wondered and wanted to ask. I just sure. don't, I don't ask, but sure. I try to find, you know, but they know because they look at me and they're, you know, but anyway, that there, that there's a, for some people, and especially the scenario you described, whether it's again, intention or not, how it lands a lot of times, I know mm -hmm. for me, I'll only speak for myself, is like, they're trying to validate you. Validate is the word. Yeah. They're trying to validate you as legit. They're trying to legitimize you mm -hmm. and your messiness. Because we're messy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, messy, messy, messy. You try to put, bi like I said, I will go along with biracial if I'm in a collective conversation and we're talking about us as a people. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, mm -hmm. well, some of us, but sometimes I do raise my hand and go, yo, yo, yo. The buy is two and that's all good, but you don't try to cram all of us in there because that. There might be times when we spill. Oh, yeah, spill over. We're gonna spill over almost Every any time. any box people try to slide us into. I mean, we talk about intersectional identity in in very general terms, and it's messy. You start throwing in. I also sometimes have this third ethnic cultural identity that y'all aren't even seeing. You know, like in my case with the British identity, right? Like yes. specifically the whiteness that I, that is most recent in my life, in my DNA is British, Welsh, in English, you know, like my Nana comes from this place. And so when I talk about like being triracial, I always specifically throw in British versus English because it's very specific type of whiteness that I'm talking about. Yes, and people is. are like, I'm not ready for that. Um, let's just go with the black and Japanese. That one's more obvious. Let's just do it there. You know, like, and, and that's the whole thing of like, I need to be the one to tell you how you address me and how you do. And I appreciate effort. I do. I appreciate effort. I also appreciate when 
that effort is not in a way of trying too hard to to see. So I think that's what happens sometimes with, with someone who, who it, I guess in terms of me, where, where it happens more often is in woke whiteness versus in the, I do see it in blackness too, where, where I live, but it's usually like, oh, you one of them biracials. And then I got to go, no, I mean, no, but. <laughs> yes, but no. Know, it's the one place in which bi does not fit me. Bi gender, yes. Bi, <laughs> bisexual, mm-hmm. Um, you know, but like triracial, it's a totally different thing. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I do experience it that way. And so I think that's why, like, cause usually in my experience, again, talking from, from me trying to make sure I'm better about verbalizing that, um, when I correct, I guess, a black person about my identity, it's like, okay, it's very rarely pushed back or maybe later down the road, like one more time, they'll call me biracial. I'm like, oh yeah, 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 you're not, you're not one of those. You know, like it'll get clarified a lot quicker. Whereas with white people, that effort to be um, accommodating of my identity can sometimes be like, well, I heard this word from one black person or one person of color and they granted me permission to use it. So this is the word that I'm using. And they don't understand that this stuff is messy. It's complicated. And if I, it's, in the same way that people are having a hard time adjusting to pronouns, having a hard time adjusting to the way mixed people identify individually and collectively, I think are different. And for me, I think an experience that you and I had together along with Sonia was when we spoke to Dr. Yaba Blay, when she specifically described her identity um, as Black versus Ghanan, right? Ghanaian, uh-huh. Ghanaian. Uh, she specifically said, I'm politically Black because of where I live and what all these other scenarios. And it made, it just clicked into place because I didn't know that, that, I didn't know that that's what I was doing. I didn't have a name for what I was doing. I was always identifying Black first and that was a very political move, but it was also a cultural move for me because that's the culture that I had the most access to. And whether or not it was great in all spaces because of my skin tone or because of my appearance, that's a different thing that I'm having to adjust in different spaces. But, but um, yeah, people need to let us tell them <laughs> how we identify and we can decide if we share, if it's political or cultural or like, I haven't thought this through, but this is the word I'm using right now. Like it can be all of those things. I agree. And I think, yes. And I think the fluidity. So another thing that I've noticed, it's kind of new in this public discourse, is um, the whole notion that mixed identity is fluid. Now, again, some of that, I think, is being imposed on us by monoracial people and entities. Mm -hmm. And they're, and often... I mean, I would love to discuss this with some of these folks if they'd like to come forward, because I'm always a fan of conversation, exchange, dialogue, and, and keep learning. But sometimes I feel shade. Mm. Okay. Mixed identity is fluid. With you know, I feel some shade there. Like you can basically pop around between categories. Now, first of all, you can only pop around between categories depending on, and this is where you go back to what you talked about. That is really dependent on, that's dependent on physicality. Mm -hmm. I can move between most categories that are on most United States forms. Mm. I discovered this as a very young child. Mm. Okay. As a very young child, I was like, 
you know, we didn't have the words racially ambiguous then. Right, right. Else. But I was like, even then, by then, by 10, 11 years old, I knew that I never knew what people were going to think I was. I never right. knew. I couldn't anticipate. I still don't. <laughs> right, me either. That's a whole, that's a whole, <laughs> that's a whole series we're going to do, y'all. But ambiguous. But anyway, so, um, but even as a child, without having the language to describe it, I knew people thought I was all kinds of things. It no, I never really sat and thought, well, I'd like for people to think I'm this. They didn't mm-hmm. have Latino back then. I mean, we were West Coast Chicano or on a form it was Spanish surname. Right. So patriarchal, right? That's so wild. Spanish surname, patriarchal. Um, Asian, of course, it was Oriental. Mm-hmm. Uh, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, that's how old I am. But again, so I've always had that sense. Of, I think, and like you and Dr. I like that, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Dr. Yabba Blay. And I, I do the same thing. I tell people I am politically and culturally black. Mm-hmm. That's my frame of reference. That's the lens. I Now, uh, taking into account all of the, all of the mixedness, all of the diversity, the Jewish people, the Native American people, everything else, what I look like, light skin privilege, colorism, all ambig- ambiguity. If you want to know what how I move through the world and how I see things and how I process things, it, it is for the most part blackly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, that, and so sometimes people say, whatever, you're not going black. And it's just fun to watch their heads explode because, you know, then they, then they start getting it. They're like, wow. Oh, 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 oh. And I explained, I said, <laughs> we can do ancestry. I said, but um, if you want a shortcut, interact with me like I'm a black person. And we'll, because that's yeah. what's going to work. That's what, that's what, that's how we're going to, you know, communicate. So, what, what I'm, so back to what you were talking about. So when we get to, so all this language is evolving and because we're in the information age, the digital age, social media, it's evolving at warp speed faster mm-hmm. than I think language has ever evolved. In I think so too. Yeah. At least on this planet, you know, maybe the other planets where they're more technologically advanced, but we, it's, it's evolving at the speed of thought, mm-hmm. right? Like literally every, every week, almost there's a new term or a new concept or a new way of looking at it. It's incredibly exciting. I can see, I can't imagine how hard it is for monoracial people. <laughs> because for us, for me, for us and for me, it's sometimes like, okay, okay, hold on. Wait, wait, what was this? What, what are we talking about now? You know, so, but it's, I have to say, you know, um, one of the, you know, the, the themes of my, of my memoir is I also usually as I was growing up and kind of navigating my identity, mixedness, thank you for that term, was really on the back burner for me because until the last few years, mm. there was, I, as I described in the book, and as I described when I talked, there was no there, there. There was nothing you could, yes, there were groups. Now, when I was in college, there were no groups, but I know in a lot of colleges and universities, there's all kinds of affinity groups, including mixed multiracial. Mm-hmm. Um, there were groups like multiracial um, Americans of Southern California, you know, different regional, right, mm-hmm. groups like that. But there was still no real, I know that the wonderful author Heidi Durow for several years did a wonderful mixed remix conference in Los mm-hmm. Angeles. I was um, honored to be there and to, and to present there in 2016, but, um, but still there was no, not like now, 
And yeah. I do believe I do believe the youngins have taken over TikTok. Now, yeah, TikTok, TikTok is it's pretty TikTok, strong. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, TikTok, we've, we've taken over TikTok. So that's fascinating and, and fabulous. I mean, I just, you know, they have, and I think that what we have to do is create a, a space, Charmaine. And I think you're at the forefront. And I believe your audience is at the forefront of this. So this is my agenda. People can tell me if they like it or not. What I think is really critical as an auntie and an elder and an OG in this game is that we create spaces to embrace and support all aspects of mixes, wherever somebody is at, even if we disagree, mm -hmm. with them, even if it's in direct opposition mm -hmm. to our personal values and politics and agendas. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's critical. I don't, I, I'm seeing way too much of us um, sniping, yeah, attacking each other. That whole policing identity. Raised by that's what I want. I want to do a whole episode on that yeah. because yeah. I see that is fighting, fighting. That's a power grab, and it's. I mean, come on, we don't pick our parents, right? We don't pick what we look like. Okay, so you know, I I think that that's 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 imposing a whole external that's imposing quite frankly the white supremacist programming so uh, yeah. that we stay fighting each other no we got to find a way to just accept and appreciate and embrace and amplify mm -hmm. our differences because again i i would my thesis statement is and somebody can come forward and we can we can discuss and debate it but i believe that as a group we're we're the most diverse on the planet yeah and, and not just racially, ethnically, culturally. culturally. And then there's some who are like my brother, whose cultural affiliations and affinities and lifestyles aren't reflected in their DNA. Yeah. And it's real and it's valid. And it's legit. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, I think about like even what makes me ethnically mixed in terms of who who are the reasons I am this mix includes my Japanese grandma who left her country and has lived here in America longer than she ever lived in Japan. And while the world will see her as a little Japanese woman, she would probably see herself as an American now. And that means something very specific to her. Um, I imagine it might be the same for my British nan, but I, I don't really, you know, don't really know if she coveted Americanness more than she coveted black menness. <laughs> um <laughs> just just my personal belief. I don't know for sure. Uh but you know what I'm saying like but again these aren't places that they came from. These aren't cultures that they came from and yet they've they've been here longer than the places that they come from. And you know, even to them, monoracial people, uh others will assume that they are what they were, not what they currently are. Mm -hmm. Um so it's not like they can't figure this out, right? Like it's not like the monoracials couldn't get it because you could be a Californian that moved to New York and you've now lived in New York for 60 years and you are in New Yorker. You just happen to be born in California. All these concepts interconnect. We just need to understand all you have to do is replace words and now you understand what it, the experience might be for the mixed person. Or you might understand that when you, when an outsider is calling a mixed person fluid in a way that has some shade to it, um, in our case, it could be straight up survival is the reason why we're fluid. In our case, it could also be because we covet what we don't look like. And so, you know, we're trying it we're trying it on. We're trying to figure out how to connect that culture to the way we look. There's so many different things. These concepts all make sense 
in whatever someone's individual deal is. Now all you got to do is change the words like a Mad Lib, and now you'll now you can come now you can get where I'm coming from about my thing, right? Um, and I don't know why that is so hard to grasp <laughs> uh, when you try to explain something to somebody. I think it's hard for a couple reasons. I think it's hard because n- nobody who's not mixed, well, most people, there are some monoracial people who have mixed kids or family members or sure. friends or loved ones or whatever, or just exposure, who've just been raised in whatever their race. But um, for a lot of people, I think a lot of people, Charmaine, remember these conversations are brand new. Mm-hmm. They're brand new in this country's history. I think a lot of people just don't have the linguistic tools. Let me give an analogy. You're one of my teachers. You know this. So by gender, bisexual, pansexual, bifluid, polyamorous, I, you're my go-to girl. I know you, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad. I, have this <laughs> I am a boomer, y'all. I am unapologetically. I'm a boomer. I don't try to hide it. I'm a boomer and I have boomer brain and everything else. And so when I see that, Boomer, you know, listen, listen, everybody's going to get to the point. May you live long enough to be an elder so that young people look at you, roll their eyes and dismiss you. But right. the point is, may you, may everyone live that long, right? But the point is that I'm always on a learning curve. I do believe, I do believe that my mixedness and, and, and my ambiguity um, makes me perhaps more open to and excited about this when it comes to areas not related to race, ethnicity, culture. Well, culture, yes, but race, ethnicity, and culture as they intersect. But now all these new categories, because I'm going to tell you what, a whole lot of my friends who are otherwise very progressive politically and conscious and woke, okay, Mm -hmm. they're like, I just can't. I just can't. That's boomer brain, y'all. Don't be mad at them if they're your parents, your grandparents, your your elders. Don't be mad at them. Have a little empathy because like I said one day your day will come but and the people and the young people will be doing stuff so fast that your little brain just can't keep up it's probably yeah I think you're right like it's way faster now than it ever was so oh like God. boomer generation is the first generation to have to respond at a speed of internet I guess versus and we didn't grow up digitally yeah our brains I mean you're you're I'm a zenial I'm I'm a genial yeah I'm in between so that's there too. Yeah, I am. I'm I'm right smack in the middle because I definitely have strong Gen Z vibes. Like I'm 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 crotchety Gen Z, but then I grew up in. Well, I became I was 18 by the time the internet was people could have the internet at home. Okay, okay. I was 23 by the time I actually had the internet myself. So like I got to go through a Gen Z life. But then I had to really qu- pick up really quickly to get into the digital the digital life too. I, I guess. I so yeah, I'm, I'm part weight in between. I'm right so smack. You're mixed there too. So so you know, as an analogy, if this helps, you know, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, okay, a I want to learn and know. And again, I'm because I'm a writer. I'm a wordsmith. Language is an, and accuracy in language is incredibly. Um, and probably because we're mixed and I've spent my whole life explaining myself and I mm-hmm. always have to do that. Um, this is incredibly important, incredibly valuable to me. I put a lot of, of stock in it and I want to get it right. I want to understand. And 
bigger than that, I think I view all of it as evolution, mm-hmm. right? I look at, you know, evolution. I'm like, oh, I wish I were 20 times, but oh, baby, I'm polyamorous. So listen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I feel like every sentence I, I say, it starts with, I'm fill in the blank identity. So this is why blah, 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 blah. Like that, that's my whole thing. It's like as a polyamorous person, blah, 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 blah. As a mixed race person, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. As a specifically mixed black Asian, blah, 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 blah. Like everything I start with now feels like I have to also. Front you're so good. At, when I say you're so good at it, what I mean by that is uh, you do it with, and I really mean this, you do it with so much wisdom and grace and heart and that's why i that's why you're my go-to i'm not gonna lie y'all be hitting you up like okay your girl what's this what am i doing i love i love those those chats because because also it shows me how to be mindful of what i like i'm always learning too how to explain things and sometimes it really is oh i just took that for granted that someone would get what that meant so now i need to know next time i talk about it add this part in so like i struggle with queer Mm-hmm. gender Same. queer because and again i came up with i mean well, y'all know what i came up with in terms of that <laughs> half the words we don't say anymore but um they were just way too limiting and way too you know problematic but there's you know and it's it's like well okay what so i'm understanding and this is showing my clumsiness but also me as a on a continual learning curve that queer can be an in, a, like a inclusive umbrella term it can be but it, it isn't can, always it, it, it can, and it's always it's also not yeah so i so i'm a person who struggles who struggled with queer because when i was growing up it was the bad word it was right. the word used to hurt and harm queer people <laughs> now it's taken me about four years of actually actively thinking about this but specifically two years of coming to terms with it and the reason why i know that exactly is because it's traceable on my other podcast because i literally start that podcast off with my very first episode being the q word and me talking about how uncomfortable i was with it and then two years later coming on and being like i i call myself queer all the time now and so that like my journey was those two years so queer can be used as an umbrella inclusive term for anybody that falls under uh, the L, the G, the B, the T. So it can be gender. It could be sexuality. It could also be a very specific type of non-cis heterosexual nerdiness, which has nothing to do with gender or sexuality, except that you might be a person who has a gender or sexuality that is different from cis heterosexual and so queer is also part of it. So like there, it's it's a piecemeal term and it can be used and owned very differently from a bunch of different people. So I have a friend or an acquaintance that identifies themselves as genderqueer. And I did not understand what they meant when they were describing it, um, where I describe myself as by gender now. And they were talking about like, well, you're genderqueer too. And I'm like, but am I? Because I don't even know. So it's that kind of thing of, of like, I'm also learning sometimes the way I describe myself is not much different than a person who describes themselves as genderqueer, but that just isn't the term that I arrived to. So that's why it, that's why it's a complicated word because it can't always be fit into like, Oh, we're all, we're all this now. And they're not, none of these terms are static. They're not static. Whether it's race, 
gender, sexuality, ethnicity, again, culture is my, you know, I like to put it yeah. in. None of the, I think that's what's new in human history as well. Mm-hmm. But I want the younger folks listening to really appreciate that not until right now in human history, at least in this country, have we had to, like you said, you're in some of these categories and struggling with the terminology. I'm in some of them and struggling with the terminology, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, I, I, I don't believe we're ever going to be finished. I believe that's a good thing. I'm happy. I'm a wordsmith. Yeah. That, it continues that, to adjust, that helps yeah. us. That helps us because we're wordsmiths. But I also, I think, again, for me, even when it's really frustrating, even when my brain feels like it's about to explode, even when I want to cry, Latin, the, the, what makes me want to cry is, For years, and I say years, y'all, we're talking, because I'm also a journalist. Mm -hmm. And so in journalistic terms, like we just, one of the takeaways, and I want to write about this on the blog, and I'll let y'all know when it launches. We'll do a launch party here. Um, um, Post-George Floyd was that many of us, black, Black journalists, had been lobbying for years, including with Black publications, to capitalize the B in Black. Right. That was one of the takeaways from the horrific assassination and trauma porn video of George Floyd that mm-hmm. you know, arrested the, the country and the world in, in 2020, um, that happened. And, 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 you know, that's, we can talk about that whole, the whole political so thing. funny because we, that had been happening in places for so long, but well, it takes under, an event like that. I fought, and I fought in, in newsrooms at black publications and I was like the only one. And I'm like the only mixed one, only light skin one. And I'm like, y'all, I'm gonna they're like Tramessa, lowercase to be. I'm like, no, what are you talking about? Anyway. And I've worked at a lot of black institutions, journalistic and otherwise, throughout my life. So it's always been front of mind. So all the, now it's now it's that the POC, um, sometimes BIPOC, or at least we're getting more upper casing, right? Mm-hmm. That's brand new. So yeah. language is always evolving, written, spoken, otherwise. It's always evolving, always, 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 always. It, you know, sometimes, and it, I don't think it's always productive, although I understand the impulse. It's always, um, people can get canceled now because anything you put or say online, the internet is forever, da, da, da. People can, well, you used, you used this term 10 years ago on Twitter, 15 years ago on Facebook, whatever, my place, mm-hmm. whatever, you know, digitally comes back to bite people. I think we've got to have a little more grace with each other and look at right. the context of the time of which the languaging took place. Okay. Mm-hmm. Rather than looking at everything through these newly woke, often very young eyes right. and saying you're problematic. Cause in 1980, you said blah. Yeah. You know I mean? So the, the thing that the category, the racial ethnic category that's hardest for me and has been for decades, I've been asking folks for decades, when do I use Hispanic? When do I use Latino? Then never mind that I wasn't comp- and I could never get a clear answer. Mm-hmm. When I would just say to people, it's kind of like black and African American, like literally every black person and Afri- every black slash African-American person has their own definition. There is no collective. There's not a collective. Yeah, there really isn't. 
No, there is no consensus whatsoever, people. And that's why we find our tribes, right? We look for the people who happen to identify the same way. And it yeah, makes it a little bit and then I, but I can also feel sorry for people in other groups, right? Mm -hmm. Because with the Hispanic, Latino, for decades, y'all, and partially because I'm a journalist, but it's partially because I'm obsessed with such things. And that's also the thing most people think I am. But anyway, and I'm not. But um, I'll be like, so which term do you like? And then, and I follow wonderful, brilliant people like Rosa Clemente and other people online now. And they're like, recently, I think sometime in the last year or so, we don't like Latinx. I'm like, okay, y'all, come on. You know, yeah. okay. It didn't make sense at first, but then I started listening and now it makes sense. Now it's it makes that it's sense. A, so now we're on Latin. English way. How do you of say it? Latin? Latin? Uh, Latin? I think it's Latin. 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 Okay. Which, you know, I guess in 24 months of it. But the point is, <laughs> you the will point get is language is now very, very different. And mm -hmm. it's, we're evolving at warp speed. And so the, la the, la the language, the terminology, the categories, and the poor census and government forms cannot keep up. If they really can't. They which, cannot keep up. Which goes to show that, like, because there are countries that don't use racial and ethnic categories. I mean, the fact that we can't even distinguish between race and ethnicity in so many places. Um, you know, there's that. I mean, my, my birth certificate literally has me listed as a black Jap. That's what's written. Black. Yeah, it's like my dad is is black slash cock c a u c dot, and my mom is listed as cock slash jap, and so my birth certificate shows me as basically black jap cock. That's what's on my birth certificate. I'm feeling a t shirt. Mm -hmm. You know, and it yeah. kills me too because like the <laughs> term is just like you, you really couldn't have added just a couple more letters. Like you literally have black there. Well, black letters. is short. Caucasian, then, Japanese. Related. You could have just said Japan because then it would have been like, okay, five letters. We get what's happening. Um, but know. yeah, like, go ahead and go with the slur. It's fine, I guess. I'll just have to live with that on my birth certificate for the rest of my life. Oh. <laughs> I got Negro. Look, I got yeah, Negro. Negro and, right. I got Negro. And the youngins, all y'all out there, the young black people went to the census for 2020 and got Negro removed as a slur. Negro has never been, excuse me, let's be clear. Negro in the United States has never been a slur. I don't know who these folk are. God bless them. I'm just laughed, you know. But I'm like, babies, that, that Negro, there are a lot of slurs. Negro, when I say, I still say it. I mean, most people my generation still just say it. it has a certain kind of, you know, shade swag to it. It's a mix between like, that was the term. And therefore, it the term. if colored. people still identify as such, then that's. And we came through color too. Yeah. I mean, we were color, we were Negroes, we were black, then we were Afro-Americans, which unfortunately most people don't use anymore. And then there's African-American, and then there's, you know, whatever. So again, language is fluid, people are fluid. Now I got to say I'm black, Jewish. I literally just found out my Native American tribal last year. Oh, you did. Blackfoot Sioux. So I got black, Jewish, Blackfoot Sioux. Kind of rhymes, right? Anyway, uh, I go black, Jew, Blackfoot Sioux. Like you, t-shirt, oh, yeah. t-shirt, right? Okay. You know, I'm gonna do a rap. I'm gonna do a yeah. rap, y'all. It'll be terrible. But um, the point is, you know, language. We're having these conversations, and language is—it's like it's flying around. It's like the mm -hmm. Tower of Babel, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's flying around, and we're all trying to go. Wait, wait—is this term? Is this term? Is and it's—I think that's that adds challenges. Mm -hmm. But I think these challenges help us to build essential muscles 
mm. of being critical analytical thinkers, of mm. continually questioning ourselves, others' definitions, usages. And yes, it's exhausting. It's exhausting, right? Yeah. It's exhausting. Especially if you sign up for the work, like <laughs> separate from just like existing in it. But when you sign up for the work every day, it's just like, oh, damn, I got a new one. I got to learn. I, 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 look, I'm trying to figure out how we can how we can charge people. Go, you want to know what? Okay, wait, that's gonna be seventy five dollars. Cash out. Okay, it's all right here. I mean, really, that I'm waiting for. Okay, young brilliant people, young brilliant mixed folk. Okay, I'm waiting for one of y'all to create an app so we can get paid for having to answer these, these questions, questions and explain these things. Like, shoot, I mean. We could, we, yes, I could be in a whole nother juicy, juicy tax bracket real quick. You know, I want to, I want to, I want to try it one day. I have not tried it, but someone did this on online once and I thought it was brilliant, but they received an email asking for some kind of education on BLM and the person sent them a cash app for $50. And then they wrote back, what is this? And they're like, you're asking for labor. I will, I'll answer your question, but I'm charging you for the land. I was like, I'm not going to pay $50 oh, yes, for this. Absolutely. And, and I was like, I thought that would be brilliant. I, I haven't directly done anything like that. And I, but I respect the, I respect the, the action on it. It's like, you're asking me for something for free, which is actually very taxing on, on me to have to do this for you. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to charge you for it. I, I, I think that is, is beautiful and brilliant. And um, I hope, if it, it comes in a form of app, that would be dope. But if not, I, I hope that I can get myself to the point of being like, yeah, I'll answer your question. $50, please. <laughs> well, and then the other thing, you just added a layer of complexity because I think we have endless layers of complexity, by the way, um, which is it's one thing if it's a white person mm-hmm. asking you for POC work, mm-hmm. BIPOC POC, et cetera, work especially if, if you're black or if they're relating, like you said, to BLM to blackness. It's another thing if it's a person of color, because we do just as much. I do. I will only speak for moi. I do just as much explaining to True. people of all races. I don't, I don't personally get more questions or conversations from white people than I do from all kinds of people. That's true. Okay. So my I'm I don't single out white folks with my experiences because I'm like everybody, you know, everybody wonders. Some people ask, some people assume, some people argue. That's but, true. You know what I mean? So for me, anyway, for I know for a lot of people, most of their questioning and and work would come from white people. I get opportunities to work with. I've never had the nerve to say three dollars is my cash app. Although I have to tell you one thing about getting older is you'd be like, look. That that's really heavy labor. Of course, the other that's another reason I wrote my book because I really want to be able to say, you know, I wrote a whole book about it. It's a good, quick, entertaining read. Here's the link. Buy the book. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, and which we will highlight here in just a second as we start to wrap up too, <laughs> so that people can buy the book. <laughs> um, I think also as language is developing and as we're figuring things out, I think we're adding layers of internal validation, which I think is a new part of this conversation, which we can also talk about in future episodes, is that for so long, I believe because I believe it because of my experience, but I believe it because of people I've spoken to on the show is that we've always seeked 
external validation from the different racial, ethnic, and cultural groups that we come from. And it never occurred to us to accept it and validate it internally, I think, or that that was a harder, uh, harder thing for us to do than to just accept the validation we received from the outside. So I think right now with all these vast and, and swift changes of language, part of that is also finding a way for me to accept myself because I now have a term that makes me feel comfortable. And I think that's happening across the board now. Yes. And, and I'm always excited when I hear someone come to the show with their hybrid term already in place because I'm like, oh, you've, did, you've done some work for this, for you, like to decide what your thing is. And it makes me really happy that that stuff is happening because um, it was a joke when I was doing it as a child. Like if I called myself black and ease when I was 12 or 15, that was hilarious. Now I can legit walk around and say I'm black and ease and someone be like, okay. Right. But yeah. that's new. I mean, I that's don't, new. I don't have Google in front of me right now and I don't know the exact year, but it's important. I, I want to put frame this right context in whether it was the 80s or 90s tiger woods right and tiger woods comes out with cablin asian and was i mean uh we mixed people flinched now i was like okay i'm not mad at him i understand but people there was no tolerance there was a zero tolerance national policy yeah the other reason was we knew his dad was black and his mom was thai but when he started he led he with started the cab, with the, with the yeah with the, with the CA, and we were like, well, baby, what, Wait, why what? are you casting white? A, where is the whiteness? And B, why are you leading with that? Because yeah. the other thing is, I think, I speak for myself, I lead with my primary thing. Identity. Hierarchical identity. Hierarchical. <laughs> I love that. I learned that from you. Yes, my hierarchy. I lead with black every time, every time. I'm not going to say I'm Jewish and black. I'm black and Jewish. Okay. And unless I'm the context dictates me being Japanese in the moment, mm -hmm. it's you know, I'll, even if that happens and I'm like, well, I'm Japanese. So, and I'm like, well, I'm black and Japanese, but, and then yes. I go back into the Japanese thing I was about to explain because mm -hmm. it is the case that my identity is hierarchical and black comes first. Black comes first. Exactly. And so, um, yeah, when we're, like you said, that dance we do, right. Is ongoing and, and the conversations are evolving, it's incredibly exciting. Like I said, it's challenging. Mm -hmm. Keeps your brain going, keeps your muscles moving. And um, I also think, and I, it's one of the reasons I love you and the work you do, my other mixed aunties and, and a, a lot of these mixed voices I'm seeing and hearing now that are so, so just oh, so exciting and so gratifying is that many of us are committed to as we go through all of the things that we will probably always go through, um, we we actively resist and fight push back against allowing ourselves and our identities to be weaponized in service of white supremacy. Right, and that you can never have the conversation without mentioning that. Yeah, because that is the dominant factor, at least in this country. Yeah, in the United States, right? Because I don't believe we would have to work nearly as hard for our identity if white supremacy wasn't in play in in power. Right. Um, I don't know because I haven't yet lived in an area in which white supremacy isn't a power. But I, I, I hope that that is the case, and 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 that it is something that we can actively fight against and dismantle um, collectively. 
if we if we work together to make that happen. Uh, but we are coming to the end of the show. Um, and so I just want to say again to the audience, uh, this is something that we're going to be doing at least once a month. We will have a mixed auntie episode, whether that is uh, shared by Teresa or my, and myself, or it's Teresa with other people, or it's me, Teresa, and other people. Um, we are, I, I re- keep referring to us as the group chat because that's that's where it, <laughs> that's where it started, but we are a collective of, of people that have a mixed race identity that also have an, an auntie um honorific i guess <laughs> like that that is how we approach the way we do the work that we do within mixedness is in auntiness so uh, from time to time you're going to hear from all of us sometimes you're going to hear from a couple of us sometimes you hear from one of us uh, but we'll be doing these episodes at least once a month uh, from now on and i think it is an important part of the work as soon as the mix auntie collect uh, confidential website is up and running and the blog is going we will be promoting that in the meantime you can follow teresa at teresa talks teresa talks on instagram teresa talks at just at teresa talks t-a-r-e-s-s-a talks all one word on ig and twitter and you can also pick up um Teresa's memoir, Swirl Girl, Coming of Race in the USA. Is it still available on TeresaStoval.com? It is. Thank you. Okay. Good. Uh, so yes. TeresaStoval.com. And then also, if you go to the Militantly Mixed website, I have a resources tab. And in that, you can actually click a, a direct link to the book as well um, so that you can purchase it directly. Um, 10 out of 10, we'll recommend. Highly important, I think, for us to be uh, reading mixed race stories or narratives, or even educational books that are written and engaged in by other mixed people. So there's actually some skin in the game when we're writing what we're what we're doing. Um, and follow Militantly Mixed on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and even though there's only like six videos, tickety talk at Militantly Mixed, or go to MilitantlyMixed.com uh, for access to the show as well. And with unless there's anything else... Don't forget to be a mixed ass selves. Peace, y'all. Peace out. Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast, produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan, the one. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantlymixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantlymixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.